mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 as we begin, uh, you know, the book of 1 Peter, his testimony, what he wanted to share with us a few weeks ago. I wanted to stay in the text because he's literally talking about everything that's going on in our life. And every day, really, today's resurrection day. Every day is resurrection day. Listen, for the church, without the resurrection, there is no evidence that the blood of Jesus has paid for our sins. And we know that. But I just want you to know that across the nation today, there are so many people that are out hiding Easter eggs. They're out playing a game. They're feeling like something special. And I don't say this in any way to be uh, uh, shaming or derogatory or say anything bad about anybody that's doing it. But as the people that know that this day is represented by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is so important that we tell people that Jesus is risen. It's so important that we not cover up truth. And, I, and I'm going to give you the same, the same t uh, sermon I give you every single year. There's a lot of things that you can hide and, and, and not witness to and not give testimony to, but it's not the resurrection. It's the number one thing that you cannot cover up. Listen to me. An Easter bunny cannot lay eggs. Easter comes from the false god Ishtar at best. You might find a lot of other reasons why it's false. But it's a fertility God that we try to, to see God brings life out of resurrection. He gives us life out of the evidence of that resurrection. And so the devil wants to come and overshadow it with something else that's a complete pagan lie. And there's a lot of things on the planet that I can excuse people for practicing, but not covering up the resurrection. The single most important event ever on the planet is everybody look forward to the resurrection. Everybody looks back to the resurrection. It's the evidence that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And we cannot cover that up. We have to be strong and bold and understanding of that. We have to remember what He has done. And I just wanted to go ahead and look again at our text because Peter's talking about this. So 1 Peter 1.17 um, And if you call on the Father... If, are you? We talked about this last week. I'm just going to re review a little bit. Are you calling on the Father? The Father who gives every good and perfect gift. Not the Father of lies. Are you calling on the Father of truth who sent His Son? 
Are you spending time in prayer? Are you looking to Him for your provision? Are you looking to Him for peace? Who without partiality judges according to each one's work. What is your work? What are you doing today? Now that you've met Jesus Christ, how has your life changed? Is your work still the same as it's always been? Is your energy still spent the same way that it's always been spent? Because we're going to be judged by what we're doing in the body. All the work, all the energy, whether we do it in our strength or the strength of the Spirit, whether we listen to pagan lies and follow the culture, we're going to be judged by that. Even as those who believe in Jesus Christ, we're going to appear before the Bema Seat judgment. And everything will be burnt up as by fire that is not done according to what God has called us to do if we're in His family, if we are calling upon the Father. So He says, there's going to be a judgment according to each one's work. Conduct yourselves. This is how you're living. This is how you're walking. This is what you're doing. Your conduct, your conversation throughout the time of your stay here in fear with reverence toward God. Complete reverence. Understanding that these we could be a bad witness. We could give bad testimony. Understanding that we could be doing the work for the wrong reasons. Understanding that the things that we're living out could be totally wrong. If we're calling on the Father, He's clearly going to show us the truth. But are we going to listen? And there's a, there's a sense of fear and awe and reverence. Why? Knowing that. Here's why. Here's why it's there. You know if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that, 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 that uh, um, Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Notice he's alive. If you believe that, listen to me, you know that you were not redeemed. You were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold. You were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold. Notice that's building materials in heaven. They're corruptible. They're not going to last forever. From what? Your aimless conversation, your aimless conduct that you received by tradition from your fathers. It was handed down to us. Listen, lots of things are handed down, lots of traditions, lots of things that are just plain pagan lies. And that's why we have 66 books by 40 authors. That's why, that's why we have this inspired word of God to clear up the matters. That's why we come to the light. That's why we come out of darkness. That's why we stop practicing pagan principles and we begin to conduct ourselves with fear. Knowing. Knowing that this is not about the temporal. It's about a spiritual life. And there's a, one out there trying to rob, kill, and destroy us. And he wants us to practice and train other little ones to practice pagan traditions handed down to us and then hand them down again. But when you come to the light, you stop handing down those pagan principles to your children. You stop handing them down to other people. And you begin to tell them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you God. That's the work that we're supposed to be doing. When we clearly know it's a lie, we don't just practice it because we want to feel good and fit in. 
Why would we want to feel good and fit in with people going to hell? People are going to be judged. Yes, it's no fun to stand out. It's no fun to say, I'm not going to wear a mask. It's no fun to say, I'm not going to practice a, a, a pagan fertility God's practice just so that kids can have fun. It's no fun. But do you think that hell is fun? Do you think that continuing to train little hearts to believe lies and follow lies just for the fun of it is what we should be doing? Is that the work? Is that the conduct? Is that the place we should be living as the people of God who know the truth of God, who know that we were not purchased with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ? And then here's the type, as of a lamb without blemish, he was born with no blemish, born with no sin nature, born perfect from a virgin birth and without spot. He lived his whole life and never sinned, no spot. See, a blemish is something you're born with, a spot is something that occurs, a scar during your life. And he was spotless. He met every requirement for the Father to take the punishment of death for you and me. We were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. And it says in 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Think about that for a moment. Before God ever spoke and created the heavens and the earth, before Genesis 1-1, he was already foreordained, already known in his mind that he was going to come down as the son of God and he was going to pour out his precious blood as a sacrifice. Before any of the Bible was ever written, he was foreordained. It's not like it was like, oh my goodness, sin happened. Now what will we do? Let's go find us a precious blood of the lamb. God already knew what he was doing long before any of the earth had fallen. Long before anybody. It was foreordained. He foreknew what he was going to do before any foundations were laid. But here's our contrast. This is where we're at. This is what we're doing. This is the witnessing. This is the testimony. This is why truth has to shine its light in the darkness. This is why we have to stand on principle and on doctrine and on truth. That's why it's important. But was manifest made known in these last times for you. It's personal. Somebody told you, if you believe in Jesus today, there was a witness, there was a testimony, there was truth that came into your darkness. That light shined in. It's personal. It's for you who through him believe in God. Believe is the pistio. It's to entrust your spiritual well-being into something. And then if you do, you continue in that with a constancy well, who is God? He who raised him resurrection from the dead. And then what did he do, Greg? He gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Where is your faith and your hope at today? Is it in God? Is it in church? Is it in Harvest Chapel? Is it in your works? Is it in your flesh? Or is it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because he's alive. Now we talked last week about Exodus 12, the Passover festival. 
where this was a type. I mean, every bit of the New Testament is in the Old Testament. You can find it there. You can search it there. You can look for it there. You can have a, you can have a witness there of what's going on. And we talked about how all of this was done as an example when the children of Israel was released from their bondage in Egypt. Egypt is always the world to you and me. Pharaoh's always a type of Satan who is there to kill, rob, kill, and destroy. And then the last plague, that tenth plague, when God judged all of the false gods. See, if God judged all the false gods, shouldn't we be judging false gods? If God judged all of the traditions of men that keep people hid in darkness, shouldn't we be judging them with the word of God? Yes, we do it in love. But truth is love. Truth incarnate is love incarnate because God is love. And God come to earth and took flesh. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They're the same thing. Now, do I believe that we can share sometimes and say sometimes and tell people sometimes in the wrong manner? Yes. Yes. And if I ever do that, excuse me. But my heart is to give you love, to give you truth. And if you receive it and you take it and you're a witness to it, you stop practicing the things that the pagans practice. And we begin to be a witness and we stand. And even if we stand alone, we stand with God. And God and me is a majority. I don't care what the world says. When I stand with God, I stand in great company, the best company. I stand with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But when I stand with the world and try to become a man pleaser, I don't stand on anything but quicksand. It's sinking fast. There's no foundation to it. So I pray that you are standing with God. That you're in the word, prayer, and fellowship. You're learning. You're finding out how your conversation and your conduct should be. Because coming to Jesus is not a game. We've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And every type, every animal that was ever killed, all the way back to where God made the first sacrifice and covered Adam and Eve, every bit of that blood pointed forward as a shadow, as a type. When that day would come, when Jesus would come and walk into Jerusalem on the 10th of the Psalm. We called it last week the triumphal entry. I don't really like to call it Palm Sunday. That kind of takes the influence off and puts it on somebody waving. The worshipers instead of the one who is the Lamb of God. It's a triumphal entry. Well, you say, well, he wasn't very triumphal. They killed him. That's why he came. That's exactly why he came. He was foreordained to pour out his precious blood to purchase us back to those who believe. And it's been manifested in these last days for you and I so that we would understand it. And when that happens, we become sanctified. Oh, yeah. Set apart positionally. What happened in the Passover festival? What did God do first before he brought that? He sanctified his people. He set them apart in Goshen, and he said, here's the truth. Here's the instruction. I'm going to kill all the firstborn in the land. But if you'll take a lamb, and you'll do it the way I say on the 10th of Nisan, and then you make friends with it, you sit down, you inspect it. Does it have a spot? Does it have a blemish? And then on the 14th of Nisan at twilight, you kill it. You roast it, you eat it, you fellowship with it. It's a burnt offering. None of it's to be left by morning. If it is, burn it in fire. But take that blood and put it on your doorpost of your house.
And that's why we tell people today that when you believe in Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus, the resurrection is the evidence that that blood paid for your sins. It was sprinkled on the altar in heaven for you. And symbolically, it's on your heart's door now. Symbolically, you've been purchased by the precious blood, redeemed from death. Now you've been given life. Why do we keep searching for the living among the dead then? Why do we keep practicing the cultural practices? Why do we keep looking for life down here when our eyes should be fixed up there? It's not because of the Spirit of God. It's because of deception from the enemy. It's because of practicing lies. Because the Bible doesn't tell us to stay down here. The Bible tells us to take off the grave clothes. The Bible tells us to be further clothed in Christ Jesus. And it says to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our power. So it's been manifest in these last times for us who believe in God. We, what do we believe in God? That He raised Jesus from the dead. And then gave him glory, the name above all names. By one day, every knee will bow to the praise of his glory. So that your faith and hope are in God. Is that where you're placing your hope today? Or is it in a stimulus check? Is that where you're placing your hope today? Or, or is it in your next uh, vacation? Is it in the opposite sex? Is it in some type of other thing that is going to perish like silver and gold? Where is your hope at Listen to me, this is such a simple little thing that we have to get. Childlike faith, do not train your heart to keep chasing aimless things that are going to burn up. Do not continue when you come to Jesus and think that the Holy Spirit is going to keep teaching you to do the same thing you've always done. It's a new life, you're a new creation, it's a new and living way. It's always spiritual first. When something happens, oh, he's talking about me. Well, what's the spiritual ramifications of that? Oh, that happened to me. What's the spiritual thing? What is God saying first? So here's what it is. We were all born, excuse me, man was created in the garden, a trichotomy. Right? Everything's going to be a trichotomy now. And the world wants to make it a dichotomy. All about to leave the spirit of God out. But a trichotomy was a spirit, soul, and body. Sin flipped it upside downward to body, soul, and spirit. So your spirits last. When you come to Jesus, when you believe in the precious blood, you're flipped back right side up. Not worldly, not aimless like our father left us with traditions, chasing dichotomies and forgetting God. But now everything that happens, instead of whining and crying, instead of blaming and shaming, instead of becoming a victim... We say, what are the spiritual ramifications of this? What is God teaching me? What am I being tested on? What am I being tried? What does the Word of God say about this? And how do I deal with it? And you get your emotions under control with it. And then you beat your body into subjection is what Paul says. However, as we look across the landscape, how are we living? My body first, my, 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 my feelings and emotions second, and my spirit last. That's good old-fashioned unsavedness, unbelief. That's not real. That's not salvation. That's not the church. 
It doesn't matter how we feel about truth. It matters whether we obey truth. When we get to our next text next week, God willing, He's going to say right there in verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying. How is original sin? Disobeying. Here's the word of God. We're not going to obey that. See, we can't come back to Jesus and then continue to disobey clear truth. So, as we talked about, triumphal entry. Then what did they do as you go through the Gospels? I'll give you a quick synopsis. They begin, Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple. He says, zeal for my father's house has eaten me up. You've made it a den of thieves. By not listening, by disobeying, by doing what you want in it. That's what he does. He scourges the temple. And then they go, by what authority, by what power do you do these things? Tell us. And they begin to question him. It's called a week of questioning. Well, I mean, we call it the Passion Week in, in, in the church today, but it was really a week of questioning. It really perfectly parallels the Passover, where the lamb comes in on the triumphal entry, and they go, Hosanna, Hosanna, where all the people, Hosanna means save now. Save us. We believe you're the Messiah. And then after a week of questioning, short week, they decide he's not the Messiah and he must die. And they crucify him on the 14th of Nisan at twilight. And he's in the grave for three days. He fulfills so many prophecies. And I'm giving you the quick. You're supposed to get in this and study it and learn it. But it's all been prophesied. It's all been written. There's so many types in the Old Testament where you can watch it happen on the page. Let's turn to... Uh, Luke 24 is where I'm going to be teaching out of today. Luke, the gospel by Luke. Dr. Luke, if you remember, he did an autopatia. It's where we get our word autopsy of the entire body of Christ. The, the, the things that had happened. And he writes down an orderly uh, uh, event of everything. What do you do when somebody dies? You do an autopsy. Jesus died. Luke comes and does an autopsy of it and gives this orderly account by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read on your own in 23, 44 through 56. Darkness over the earth. Matthew, I think, says there was an earthquake. Jesus gives up his life. He committed his spirit to the Father. Nobody took his life. He laid it down freely. Listen, and Jesus, or God, is a gentleman. He's not going to take your life. You say, oh, God, just take my life. He's not going to take your life. You have to lay it down freely. You have to make a choice to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to use you. He's not going to take it. Listen to me. You have to make the choice to lay it on the altar. Then he will allow his spirit to use you. He will give you gifts. He will give you talents. He will give you abilities. He will allow as long as you make the next choice to surrender 
and continue to allow him to train your heart to do what you do because of his kingdom, because of his testimony, because of his witness, because for his glory. But he's a gentleman. He's not just going to take it. He could have already done that. He could have reached down and squished every one of us. He wants you to freely choose because he first loved you to love him. And the way you love him is he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We can't say we love him and then disobey him on purpose. We can't say we love him and say, I don't care what that says. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, you need to go back to the trichotomy. Wait a minute, this is spiritual. Wait a minute, the enemy's trying to deceive me into disobeying God on purpose. Wait a minute, he's trying to do me the same way he did Eve. Wait a minute, he's trying to get me to be deceived instead of follow the light, instead of follow truth, instead of allowing his consuming light to burn out darkness and me train my heart to obey. So you're being trained by a loving father who will be patient. And if you stop, he'll wait. He's not going to take it. You have to lay it down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You get that position when you lay it down. Considering the mercies of God, why would we not lay it down? He doesn't want us to be conformed back to the aimless traditions of our Father, but He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of the mind so we can become the evidence that there really is a resurrection. The evidence of what his good and perfect will is. What is it? That all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, that his blood was precious, that God allowed all the sin of the world to be poured out upon him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that and all the confusion and the noise and all the pomp and the circumstance and all the pain and in all the hardship that goes on in life that we would be able to hear your still small voice speak to us peace be still that we would be able to stand with you and you alone but Lord if we do that we would be able to be a part of a body and allow you to be the head. And we would be able to witness to every person we come into contact the resurrection, the truth, the evidence of your perfect will that there's no wisdom or counsel against you. Thank you for just the mere remembrance of resurrection day. Lord, may it not be covered over with pagan fertility gods or any other notion that might be given. May it always be clear that we are alive because we believe that Jesus is Lord and you raised him from the dead. Thank you for receiving that sacrifice for us. Thank you for setting us apart as you did the children of Israel in Egypt. Now deliver us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, back to that thought where it Luke 24. If we follow the Passover, he didn't just set them apart 
and give them truth and say, if you obey this and put the blood on your door, everything will be okay. But what did he do next? Then he delivered them. And then he continued to redeem them. He took them. They got to the, to the uh, um, Red Sea and what happened? Oh, no, he brought us out here to die in the wilderness. And they go through as he opened, as they, can, they went through following Moses and are baptized into Moses. And where is he taking them? To the promised land, a land of milk and honey. So he has to take them through a wilderness. And why did they all die in the wilderness? Because they disobeyed. They did not believe. They would not enter in. They continued to follow their own hearts, their own traditions, and their own lies. And they all lay dead in the wilderness. But when we believe, he takes us. When we choose, he takes us. He continues, not just to sanctify us and set apart as his own special people, not just to deliver us out of the bondage of sin and the bondage of death, but now he's going to take us through some trials and some pain and some suffering. There's going to be some testing. Will you obey me? Are you going to believe me? Do you think I can get you to the other side? And we could go, whoa, there's giants in the land. There's also fruit in the land. Remember, they brought grapes back on one stick. You get to the land, there's grapefruit. When you believe God, there's the fruit of the Spirit, which is much better than any enemy if we really believe God. Can He really raise the dead? Can He really defeat death? Are we playing church or did He rise? I believe He has risen. Maybe next time we can get that like kind of like in unison instead of echoing. But that's fine. It was good. It was good. So let's look at Luke 24.1. I just want to look at a little bit of this and talk a little bit and see where it really leads us at. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, that's why we meet on Sunday, you can meet on every day. In fact, some people do. You can. You should. Very early in the morning. That shows a little bit of um, good anxiousness. You know, when you get up very early in the morning, before everybody else is up, when you get up early in the morning because you want to go meet with Jesus, because you want to go deal with Jesus, Nothing else can get in your way. Very early in the morning, that shows that you have a zeal and a desire to get up and do the will of God. That you care about the will of God. They, we don't know for sure, everybody. There's a lot of ways you can trace this to the other Gospels. And certain other women with them. Of course, he's talking about the ladies that prepare and... Uh, Seen where the body was, if you read in 23, the ending of it. They come back to the tomb. They're coming back to the graveyard. This is our modern day vernacular. It's a graveyard. It's a tomb carved out in a rock, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, the spices are always for burial. It's to cover a body so that as it decays, it doesn't stink. It's a way of, of, uh, uh, of paying respects. And they have prepared these spices. 
Are you prepared? What are you doing to prepare? How's your conduct? What's your conversation? You prepared for death? You prepared for the tomb? Think about it. Are you just banging along and whatever happens and I just got to get through the next moment and, and maybe I'll do this. Do you have any plans? Are you doing any preparation because of what God has done in your life? But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, I don't know if you know that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they came and they get the body and they get permission and they, they take Jesus and they put him in this tomb that's never been, had a body in it. He was, you know, they, they have the, the fancy sermons that says he was born in a virgin womb and he was buried in a virgin tomb, you know. But they put it on there and then here comes uh, the Jews to Pilate and they said, hey, 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 you know what? They, we remember this deceiver. He said that he was going to raise again on the third day. So we got to put some guards around the tomb and we got to seal it. And we got to make sure that the second deception isn't greater than the first deception. And he goes, go your way. You have guards. You take care of it. And they sealed this tomb. And, and the ladies have watched this. And see, why is it ladies? Why is it ladies today? that you'd normally find in church. People have opinions. I have opinions. I, I, I believe it's because the devil has so attacked men who are supposed to be the head that, that they're gone somewhere else. They're shamed into being somewhere else instead of doing the work of the ministry. So all you have show up is women who are wishing their husbands were in church. But listen to me. The reason in this culture was because when you killed a leader, you would round up all the heads, all the men, and kill the men. They weren't worried about the women leading an insurrection. They were worried about the other men doing that. But the men, they were hiding. They were hiding behind locked door, if you read the other Gospels. So when they come, they come to a grave expecting to find death, and they find an open tomb. They're coming. Listen to me. Listen, are you coming to church to find death or life? Why are you coming looking for Jesus? He's life. He's not death. They come to the grave looking for the dead so they can mourn and cry and weep. But he's not dead. He's risen. All right, we'll get better at it. Listen, they come looking for death. What are you looking for? Are you looking for life or death? What are you preparing for? Are you preparing for life or for death? Are the supplies that you put together in life, are the things that you're pursuing, do they perish? Are they silver and gold? Or are you preparing with the precious blood of Jesus by the Spirit of God and the Word of God for the glory of God? Where are you looking at? Where are you chasing? Are you going to visit graveyards? Are you looking for death? Then they went in, so they go into the carved out rock and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Listen, 
They didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Where do we find it at today? See, we are the body of the Lord Jesus. He's the head. We're the body. Why do people not come to church? Why are people not getting saved? Because the body is still looking for death instead of looking for life. The body is still running around in the aimless traditions of their fathers. Listen, his physical body is getting ready to stand up. It's already up. It's going to come on the road to Emmaus. It's going to be the only scars and the only thing that sin resembles in heaven is the scars that he took for us. We're all going to get new and corruptible bodies. But we are the body of Christ now. Now that he has ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of power, we are the body of Christ. Where do you find it at? In the tombs? No. Where do you find it at? You should find it resurrected. You should find it living life. You should find it with hope and joy. You should find it covered in the precious blood of Jesus and witnessing to others about it. The stone is rolled away. And it's not, listen, they go in. The stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. He's God. I mean, we're going to see that as he appears to him. He walks right through the wall. He's just there in their midst. The stone was rolled away so that we can see in to a new and living way, so that we can witness the resurrection. That's why they want to cover it up. The stone is rolled away to show that he is risen, and he leaves his grave clothes there in the tomb. Where's your grave clothes at? If you are risen, since we have risen, where's your grave clothes at? You still carrying them around with you? Remember Lazarus, chapter 11 of John? In the tomb, four days. Oh, he stunk. Four days. They had a false teaching that it, you had to be dead three days, or, and then they couldn't raise you from the grave. And Jesus waited, because all things are possible with God. And, and they're all crying and weeping. They're at the tomb mourning. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out. Then what does he say? Hey, you, you guys that seen this and witnessed this, unwrap the grave clothes. And we're supposed to be doing that with one another. That's what the body of Christ is about. That's what the word of God, that's what witness, that's what stopping to chase our aimless father's traditions is about. That we should be living in the light. We should be having the hope of God. We should be sharing the word of God. We should be unwrapping each other and ministering to one another. Giving grace and mercy to one another and helping us get our grave clothes off. How do we do that? By reminding people of the truth, of the love of God, that He has risen. And if He is risen, He's the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15. And that means that there's a promise that one day we're going to rise from the dead. There's going to be a future harvest of souls. 
Are we truly awake? Are we truly in the church? Do we truly believe in the precious blood of Jesus? Then why are we still running to the tombs looking for life? There's nothing there but death. They couldn't find the body of Christ. Not to be in any way derogatory towards God's bride, but most of the time on this planet, we can't find the body of Christ. We can't find the people working together in the spirit of God for the glory of God to save those who are still lost and living in the tombs. Because we're all running around chasing the aimless traditions of our fathers. Looking in all the wrong places for life. Being deceived as Eve was by the devil. Look at verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed. Really. About this. That behold two men. It's two angels. Stood by them in shining garments. Now listen to me. Why, when God tells us what's going to happen, when God tells us what's going on on the planet, when God tells us that deception is here, when God tells us there's a father of lies, when God tells us, He told them that He was going to, oh, they're gonna, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, they're going to put me in a grave, I'm going to raise on the third day. And they don't believe Him. They don't trust him. Listen, I'm glad I'm in good company. You're in good company. But they don't believe him. Why would they be perplexed? They should have said, wow, it's just like he said. He's not here. He's risen. You guys got to stay awake here. Don't stay too long in that other thought. Stay awake. He is risen. Listen to me. Why don't we get it? We have... The word made more sure now. The mystery has been, it's been laid open for you and I. It's been made manifest. These were walking with him and they were told, but they didn't fully understand. But then after the Holy Spirit come, what happened? Peter stands up and gives the first sermon of the church. 3,000 are saved. They begin to see the mystery completely. They go out and witness to everybody. They are all martyred. They are all killed. They all die for their faith. Where is that body of Christ today? People dying for their faith. People who are not afraid to stand up and say, wait a minute. I'm not falling for your lies. I'm not going to believe the tombs because my Lord has risen. Where's that body of Christ at today? The head hasn't changed. The power hasn't changed. The resurrection hasn't changed. The deceiver hasn't changed. There's no reason for us to be perplexed if we spend time with him. He's given us life. They're perplexed. They can't figure it out. So they have to have a couple witnesses tell them. So here's two angels. Listen, we have help right now from ministering angels. We don't worship angels. They're servants of God. Verse 5. Then as they were afraid. Look at this. 
What does what this uncertainty, what does looking in the tombs bring? What does perplexity bring when you don't listen to the word of God? It makes you afraid. When you don't understand, it makes you afraid. When you're not listening, you become afraid. These are people looking for what? The dead body of Jesus so they can mourn like they've always done in life, the traditions of men. And he's resurrected. He's not there. He has risen. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. See the fear? We can stand up. We can look up. We don't have to shut up. Since they didn't understand because they weren't listening to the word that he told them and it wasn't mixed with belief that he was getting up, they became perplexed. Then they became fearful and they bowed their faces and they said to them, the angel said to them, here's the testimony. Here's, your, here's what we need to be listening to. Here's what we need to find out. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What are you seeking here today? Why do we come to church? Are we seeking Jesus? Are we seeking life? Then why would we look among the dead? Do we believe the word of God? Then why do we keep going back to the dead for help, for hope, for our help? Why do we keep going to dead men's bones and people who do not know Jesus? Why do we trust their voices instead of trusting God's word? Why do we seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Remember he was arrested, Judas betrayed him, and crucified, and the third day rise again. He told them no more than seven, eight times on the way to Jerusalem in the last couple weeks before they get to the triumphal entry. He kept telling them that. But you know what they were doing? Arguing over who was the greatest. You know what they were doing? Fighting over stuff. You know what they were doing? Bickering and chewing on each other. They were doing everything else. They were still living a physical fleshly life even though he was on a mission to die for the sins of the world. We have this word here for us. We have the spirit here as a witness. We have a guide through the scriptures. But we still have a choice to make. We have a redeemer who has sanctified us. He has delivered us. He's redeemed us. And he wants us to praise him. And to wait for his glorious appearing. And I'm told that right there is the pattern of the four cups of the last supper meal. Sanctification. Deliverance, redemption, and then praise. The, the halal cup. That's pretty amazing stuff, really. When it's all right there symbolically and how he delivered them, sanctified them and set them apart with the blood on the doorpost. Now that's on your heart. Then he delivered them by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm by one that he drew out, Moses, let them out.
then he continued to redeem them by taking the world out of them. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he wants to do with you and I, continue to sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. And all the while we're supposed to be worshiping him, looking to him, not looking into dead men's tombs, not seeking living among the dead. Where are you looking? Notice verse 8. Here's a good memory verse for us on Friday nights. 8 is the number of new beginnings. Luke 24, 8. And they remembered his words. What do you do when you're reminded of God's words? What do you do when you're reminded of what he spoke? What do you do when you're reminded that you are foreordained for something? What do you do when you remember that we're supposed to be looking for life in Christ, in his word, seeking heavenly places? Not just helping other people to take off their grave clothes, but taking off our own grave clothes. You know, it's amazing that the first, and I, 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 I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the first, Jesus tells them the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, the soul, the mind, and his strength. And then the second is to love yourself. No, he doesn't, see? The second commandment is to love your neighbor. Self is not even in there. Because you already love yourself. You're supposed to be dead to self. But most that bring in psychobabble into the church, they'll say, well, you can't love your neighbor as yourself till you learn to love yourself. And they make it into three commandments. There's only two there. When you love God, look for the living among the living. Look in heaven. Look in heaven. Turn to Colossians 3. When you begin to fix your eyes on the place it's supposed to be fixed, you love God, then he makes you a servant. He makes you go out and love your neighbor, serve your neighbor, lay your life down for your neighbor. And as you're doing that and obeying him, he's going to take you out of yourself and retrain you to be a suffering servant like his son. To be truly resurrected. What did I say? Colossians 3. Yes. Colossians 3. If then. Verse 1. If then. Since. It could be better said. Remember. Since you have purified your souls. First Peter 1.22. Since you were raised. Oh. Raised. With Christ. Resurrection. It, mean, it means to stand back up again. It means a recovery of spiritual truth. It means a recovery of moral truth. That's what the resurrection means. We were blinded. We were lost. We didn't know it. And, and God woke us up. And we believed the testimony. And we were raised. Hold your finger here in Colossians 3.1. Look at John uh, 5.24. Or I can read it to you if you'd like. Most assuredly, Jesus speaking, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes. Anytime you see hear, it's not just physical hearing. You can hear a lot of things. It's hearing with an attentiveness to obey. Hearing with an intent to obey. A heart turned toward home, turned toward life. Life is in obeying. And disobeying brings death. Full-blown, that is sin. It will bring forth death when we disobey the voice of God. He who hears my word and believes, trusts my word in him, trust in him whom sent me. Oh, really, we're trusting in the Father. Has everlasting life. 
and shall not come into judgment. Judgment for what? Judgment for sin. Judgment, uh, but has passed from death into life. See, we're born dead, and now we're resurrected as soon as we believe. We're raised back up to life as soon as we believe in the blood of Jesus. We are raised with Christ, and we've come back to spiritual truth. Now we can begin to understand the power of the resurrection and have fellowship with his suffering and go through the great and mighty wilderness and be tested and tried and let him burn out the dross and make us more like him. But if you were raised, Colossians 3.1, were you? Since you've been, where should your eyes be? Seek those things which are above, not, not below, not in a grave. Seek those things which are above. Our eyes should be on the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all other things will be provided for us. But what do we do? We get our eyes on our Father's aimless traditions. We get our eyes on silver and gold. We get our eyes on the tomb. And we keep looking to death and thinking we're going to get something. When God already told us if we will look to His kingdom, if we'll seek heavenly things, He'll give us all of this down here. He'll throw it in for free. You'll always have everything you need. He'll provide for all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And your first need is always going to be spiritual. The physical is going to burn. If we don't get the spiritual lesson, the spiritual burning out of the dross, the spiritual training, the spiritual eyesight, the spiritual, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. being led by the Spirit of God to do the work of God for the glory of God, then it's all still just flesh and God doesn't recognize our flesh. Where's your eyes? Are you looking into the tombs? Are you looking for the living among the dead? Or are you looking to your provider in heaven? He give us His Son, His most prized possession. He give us His written word. He's given us His Spirit. He's sanctified us. He's delivering us. He's redeemed us. He's given us a voice to praise Him. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting. Notice, He's God. There's only one seat. There's only one throne. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're God. They're all three in one. They're all three uh, perfectly in union. Verse 2, set your mind, your affections on things above. Not on things on the earth. See, things on the earth is death. It's the tombs. Why are you looking among the dead for the living? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you love yourself, look up there where you're hidden at. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What should we do then? Therefore, put to death your members. Oh, really? We're supposed to die? Which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. See, we shouldn't keep practicing all the things that the wrath of God is coming down upon the sons of disobedience for. In which you yourselves once walked. That's who what we used to be. Now we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are being made new. That's how we once walked when you lived in them. That was your manner of death. But now, contrast, now that Christ has been made manifest to us, now that the gospel is clear, now that we have light and we see resurrection, you yourselves are to put off these. Here's how you're taking off the clothing. Listen, you're undressing. You're helping others undress. Your witness, your walk, everything that you do in testimony is a witness to others to help unwrap their grave clothes. When we stand for truth and we say, not going to practice Easter Bunny stuff. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I know. There's, you know what that does? That makes some really awkward times at family gatherings. It makes some really awkward times. I've been through it for 20-some years. It makes some awkward times when I talk with other pastors who don't care. Oh, you're free to do whatever. Don't let nobody judge you in times and seasons. Listen, you cannot cover up the resurrection. You cannot pretend. You cannot put death in front of life. If we truly believe in the resurrection, this should be the number one thing we would stand for in the gospel. But we should stand for all truth. We should make sure that people know that the devil is trying to destroy the people of God. But the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So we're to take off All these, verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because every lie is from the devil. Every lie is in the tombs. It's death. All of these things are death. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, mortified the deeds of the flesh, and have put on the new man who is renewed. How? Look, how, do, how are we renewed? In knowing Isn't that what Peter said? Since you know that you were not purchased with silver and gold, but with the precious blood. See, when we know the knowledge of truth, when we look for life in light in the right places, we are renewed by the renewing of the mind with knowledge according to the image, the icon of him who created him. Now think about that. When you're on your computer and you have that little icon on the front screen and you click on it, what happens? That entire program becomes manifest and you see every bit of it. When you click on the icon of Christ-likeness, it, poof, it opens it up as the knowledge grows. Now knowledge can puff up if you don't mix it with spirit. If you don't mix it with truth, if you don't mix it with obedience, if you don't mix it with looking into heavenly places and seeking to do His will, it just becomes information and noise, clanging brass, 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have not love. And then 11 says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, synthony, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Racism is a lie, especially in the church. 
There is no race. The only times the word race is used in the Bible is four times, and it's all about running a race. We're all the human race. I put that on my application at the doctor the other day. They said race. I said human. They probably thought I was a crackpot, but I don't care. If they would ask about it, I would give them a sermon. They didn't ask. I seen it as an open door to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So he tells you to take off and put on. Oh, where's that at? Verse 12. Therefore, because we're taking off all of this, listen, our grave clothes must be removed. This is practical sanctification. He set us apart positionally, but now as we're walking, we're learning to say no to death and yes to life. No to looking in the tombs and yes to looking and seeking the things that are in heaven. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, that's who you are. That's who I am. We're the elect of God. We're holy and beloved. Put on. Now, here's what you want to put on. You're putting on the fruits of the Spirit. You're putting on the character of God. You're putting on and being further clothed and sanctified. Tender mercies, the bowels of mercy. We need that in the church. Easy to get hard, especially if you're looking into the tombs. You get hard-hearted. We need the bowels of mercy, tender mercies for other people. If we've received God's mercy, we should desire to be merciful to others. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. There's the one another ministry. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Kindly suggestion, huh? But above all things, put on. Here we are, we're being clothed. Everything, above all things. I love it when they, when they do this. Paul did, it, Paul did that in uh, Ephesians. He's done it in Colossians. There are twin epistles that were shared. He says, put on love above everything. Here's these other things, but put on love. Put on, because God is love. And what is it? Put on love, which is the bond. It's the duct tape of perfection. It's the glue that holds us together is the love of God, because it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And let the peace of God rule be the umpire of your hearts, to which you also you were called in one body. Oh, we're looking for the body of Christ. And be thankful, Eucharist. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, remember we're going to be judged by our works, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And he says teaching and admonishing, that's nuthateo. Uh, it's, it's teaching and admonishing using the Word of God. Using the truth of God, not using things from the tombs, not using psychology, not using man's wisdom, not using earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, using the word of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God to deal and teach and admonish one another. As we speak in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. Let's go back to Luke. 24. We'll work on closing this up. 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? The witness said, the angels said, I know one of them, like Mark or, no, maybe it's Matthew, just talks about one angel, and that's because only one of them was a spokesman. That can happen a lot. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you. Do you remember the love of God? So what happens after you remember what he said? What do you do with it when you're reminded of what he said? Look at verse 8, new beginning. They remembered his words. This is what the Spirit does. He gives us new beginnings. Today can be a new beginning. Today can be a complete new beginning in your life. You say, you know what? When I hear the word of God, I'm going to try to obey the word of God by the spirit of God for the glory of God. I'm not going to try to play religion and do it and say, well, God said, so I'm going to go do this. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to train me, to teach me, to equip me, to prepare me. Where's my ministry? What's my gifts? What's my talents? How do I love my wife as Christ loved the church? How do I love my husband? How do I love my children and train them the way that God trains? Have you noticed that God does that? He doesn't have any grandchildren, but he has children. And what does he do instantly with his children? He begins to train them in new life. Because he's always the example. But people say, oh, I didn't have a father, so I don't know how to be a parent. Look to God. You have a father in heaven. Quit looking to the tomb. Look for the living among the living and the dead. Know where they're at and go to them and give them life by your witness. None of us know how to train children if we've listened to the aimless traditions of our fathers. If we want to do it with silver and gold by buying them everything, the greatest thing we can do for our children is point them to heavenly things so that they, when they're older, will not depart therefrom. That's training. Let them know you messed up. Let them know. Apologize. What do you do when you remember his words? Do you repent? Do you apologize? Do you change your direction? Do you turn away? Look what they did on verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb. They left the graveyard. They left death and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They went and became witnesses of what they had seen. He's not here, but he's risen. And they went and became witnesses of what they've seen. Listen, if you're growing in the grace and the knowledge, if you're seeking heavenly things, if you're looking for life among life, if you're looking for God and you see it and you remember it, you're going to tell somebody. It becomes a fire in your bones. But if you're living in the graveyard, guess what you're going to tell them? All about death. You're going to be okay with that. You're going to feel comfortable in death. Listen, We should not be comfortable down here. We should not be comfortable down here. I don't care how much money you got, how warm and cozy your house is. We're behind enemy lines. The devil is here and wants to destroy you. When you get comfortable and complacent and content, he's got you. You're no longer going about and and trying to tell people about a, a, a God who has risen again. But you're about your own life. If you're comfortable, 
Being comfortable is not part of the Christian life. Having peace and joy and love, yeah, we'll go with that. Going into a trial, coming out of a trial, dealing with people, yeah. But being comfortable is not part of the Christian life. Find a soldier that's been at war and ask him when he was comfortable. When the enemy's trying to kill you, when the enemy is doing everything to destroy you, and you believe it and follow it, and you're led away to die, when you're a prisoner POW, and you think that's comfortable? What do you do when you remember the Word of God and what He's called us to do? Listen, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not going to be judged for our sin, but we will be judged by what we did after He made us sinless and He took the power and the penalty of sin. And you can reap it even down here. They returned from the tomb. They came away from the tomb. Oh, here's something. Do you know, by the way, that the graves are getting ready to pop open again? See, this is just the first fruits. One grave was empty. It's still empty. I say, people tell me all the time that they went to Israel. It's still empty. You go to all the other false gods, Muhammad, Confucius, Joseph Smith. You go to all them graves, they still got bones in them. Jesus' grave is still empty. Listen, one day... Soon and very soon, the Bible says that the last trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the graves. They're going to burst open. And I believe there's going to be physical, you can see, and people are going to be in the graveyard going, what in the world happened here? These graves are all busted open. Wonder why that one's not open. Wonder why that one's not open. I believe there's going to be physical evidence of the believers getting up out of the ground. That's just my opinion. I believe you can see the physical evidence of the rapture in the Bible. There's physical evidence. They saw the fiery chariots when Elijah was taken. I believe they'll see the two witnesses. We've got two angels here that are witnesses. We're going to have two witnesses that are dead for three days in the streets of Jerusalem. And then they raise to life and ascend into heaven. It's, a, it's something you'll see. You'll know it. One day all the graves of those saints that are looking to heavenly things and believe and trust in the blood of Jesus are going to open up soon. Soon the grave will open. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air, and thus will be with Him always. And we should encourage one another of these things. And as we look to the resurrection of Jesus, that reminds us that He's coming, because He's the first fruits we are also going to raise. Are you ready for that? Or are you acting like Lot's wife and you're looking back? You're going to turn into a block of salt. Instead of sprinkling salt and telling others what you've seen when you went to the tomb. And then it tells us who they were, their names. It was Mary Magdalene. I think another text says of whom Jesus cast out seven demons. Look at this. She was one of the first ones. Where much is forgiven, much will be required. She was one of the first ones. How many demons was cast out of us when we come to life? 
Oh, there's no such thing as demons, Greg. What are you saying that for? Trying to scare the sheep. Sad. Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. They went back to the men that were hiding behind doors because they was afraid they was going to be killed. And they went back and told them. And their words seemed like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Isn't that amazing? See, even the apostles didn't believe that the tomb was empty. Even the apostles didn't believe that he had risen. Even the men that walked with him and they had been told, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. On the third day I'll rise, go to Galilee and wait for me there. That's what he told them to do. They didn't believe. But you know what they did when they didn't believe? They said, feet don't fail me now. And Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And John, and John, John ran with him. John beat him there, but John didn't go into the tomb. He waited, and Peter went in further and investigated. Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Think about that. He had denied Christ that night three times before the rooster crowed. He's like, are you kidding? And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, he did say he was going to rise. And he went and investigated to see if the Lord had risen. I caught you sleeping. He ran to the tomb. He stooped down and he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Isn't that what we're supposed to do when we leave here today? Listen, shouldn't we be marveling over the goodness and the grace of God? The linen clothes Christ left because he's alive. He doesn't need them anymore. You don't need death anymore. You don't need this stuff down here anymore. You need to set your affections and your eyes and everything on your hope of in heaven. And begin to listen to what the Holy Spirit would tell you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. He wants to lead us into life. He wants us to look to life and then go tell others what we see, to see the resurrection. We have been stood back up again from death that we inherited from our first father, Adam. Through him comes death, but through the second Adam, Christ comes life to all who will believe because of his precious blood. Do you believe? Are you telling people? Are you marveling about this great life? This eternal life? Listen to John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, know the Father, and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Knowing who he is, knowing what he's done, knowing what he's doing, remembering that he's coming back, coming into a love relation that's real and personal and looking to him, not to the tombs, not to the, to the, to the PhDs of this world, but looking to God Almighty. That's eternal life, believing and trusting in him. Let's close with, I'd love for you to read the whole chapter. Let's just read the whole chapter and we'll close, okay? 
I'll just read it, no comments. I just want you to hear it. Paul's testimony to the church at Corinth, who's acting like he is not an apostle. They're questioning him. They're following the tombs. They're listening to liars. They're, they're playing church. They're playing religion, uh, following falseness. And he says in 15.1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, the good news which I preached to you. He, he's the one that preached to him and got him saved. Which also you received gladly, in which you stand. That's our position. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. See, you got to look to heaven. you got to believe God and then receive it and then give it to others. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He fulfilled scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, Peter, by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's the ones that will get up out of the grave. Now listen, he's saying that they were seen, that they were right there. As he writes, their contemporaries, that they seen Jesus out of the grave. Go to court with 500 witnesses and see who you can convict. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul speaking, also as one born out of due time. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. Notice he was on the other side, and he seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And he turned, and he went and told everybody what he's seen, and he continued uh, to live for Jesus by the grace of God. Look, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye. I am that I am. Oh, I'm sorry. And his grace, why is he what he is? Because of his grace toward me was not in vain. See, he just said that you're actually the grace of God can be, the God's riches at Christ's expense can be in vain toward people when they look at it and they still don't obey it. It's still good old-fashioned tomb surfing, pit dwelling, living a life of death and pretending as if we're saved. But, look what he says, I labored more abundantly, he's bragging a little bit here, than they all, yet not I. Oh, he wasn't bragging. Yet not I. It wasn't ego. I is what that is, the Greek word ego, ease God out. See, it wasn't his flesh. It wasn't his own strength. It wasn't his own plan. It wasn't what he wanted to do. But look what he said. But the grace of God which was with me. Listen, everything that you do, you want to do by the Spirit of God because of the authority of God for the glory of God. You have to get out of the way. You have to be a living sacrifice that chooses to lay your life down. And when you choose not to and you want to choose to do what you want to do, then God just waits. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force it on you. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And again, he's, he's defending because they, they've been taught that he's a false prophet. 
a false teacher, and they were believing other people, the um, Judaizers and the like. Now verse 12, when we get to what I wanted to talk to you about, because of the liars of the day. Now if Christ is preached, and that's what we should be preached, that he has been raised from the dead, he is risen, how do some of you, so how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. So he's defending that the dead do rise. Christ the first fruits and you and I will be uh, following. Yes, and we are, where am I at? 16. And if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. What a terrible place to be. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no more. There's nothing good for them. They just went into the grave. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiful or pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, Adam and Eve, all die. We're born with a sin nature because of their disobedience and deception. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive, all that believe. We have to put that in context. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to, the, to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign till he has put all the enemies under his feet. And he goes on to say the last enemy is death. But I see that you are wore out. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Where are you looking? Where are your eyes? What are you preparing for? Are you still looking for the living among the dead? He's not there. He's risen. I fear I have put you to sleep. Today is a day that we will celebrate and remember that Christ rose from the grave. And if he rose, one day our hope, and we know that we will rise in the resurrection. And it's soon. Soon the graves are going to pop open. Are you ready? Because in a twinkling of an eye, the, the corruptible will put on incorruption. We get a new body. And then we'll be with him forever. And I'm not going to continue with what goes on then. But it, it's, it's not an idle fable. As the boys, Peter and John and the disciples thought, oh, it sounded like fables when they were witnessed. They had to investigate. Are you investigating the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you searching out the word, searching out what he's called you to be as the body of Christ? And then when you own it and you know it, are you sharing it with others? 
Listen, just saying I was blind, but now I see is enough to share with somebody else. Or you can go on believing the sorcery of this planet, the lies of this planet. This planet is a graveyard full of dead men's bones. The question is, is in the resurrection, will you get up? Will your grave be empty? Will you put on incorruption? Where are you looking, Christian? Where are your eyes fixed? Are you taking off your grave clothes and allowing the Spirit of God to renew you? Are you helping others? Is that your focus? To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Get your eyes off of your own self and get them on doing the will of God. Father, thank you. Thank you for raising your son from the dead, for receiving his payment of his blood. Thank you, Lord, that we knew that it was foreordained and that mystery has been revealed now, that it was a done deal. And because you knew who would choose your son, Jesus, you foreknew us and call us your elect. And you send angels to protect us and to minister to us as we receive eternal life. Thank you for releasing all the power of heaven to get us across the finish line. Lord, we pray that our will would surrender and we would look into heavenly places. We would stop looking into the tombs and the graveyards and looking at death and thinking it's going to give us life. And we would begin to look in your face and come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, may it never be said if we call on the Father. We want to call upon you, Lord. We want to thank you and worship you and praise you that your son Jesus has risen. That he has risen indeed. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I